The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good morning. We have a small crowd here at the church today. One of our brothers just said I scared everybody off with my email, so sorry about that. Um, but here we are. And uh, we are going to turn our Bibles to the uh, Gospel of Luke this morning. If you would make your way there on your computer, phone, tablet, or that old-fashioned codex that you have called a book form of the Bible, take that and turn to Luke's Gospel, please. We'll open with a word of prayer as well. For those uh, uh, that are here, any prayer requests this morning that we should remember? Okay, well, I have one in mind, so let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and ask that you'll help us as we dive into a study of your word and a study it will be where we'll have to really think. And I ask that you would bless our efforts using the means that you have given to us and that are at our disposal. Lord, this morning we pray for one who's Father is not well for Andy, is concerned for his dad, not only for his physical condition, because it's it's a dire situation, a terminal diagnosis as we understand it, but more importantly, that uh, his father's spiritual state is not sure, not certain. It's not uh, something that he has confidence to know that his dad is in a state of grace. So we pray for him. And we pray that you would draw him to yourself and bring this man to the saving knowledge of Christ. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Welcome in. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We're in our Bibles in Luke's Gospel in chapter 3, please. Luke's Gospel in chapter 3. And I trust that you'll... Learned something this morning. I haven't uh, gone through this material in a number of years. That that same statement will prevail for later this morning as well. But we're in Luke chapter three. I have uh, notes that are available online. I think you'll find them at fbcaa.org/docs. That's D-O-C-S, or I think documents also will work. Um, but it's the genealogy information we began uh, last week or. Uh, week and a half or two weeks ago to look at uh, Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 and I wanted to complement that with a look at chapter 3 now and so uh, actually what I might like to do is have somebody uh, specialize for me and have uh, have their finger on Matthew 1 and uh, be able to refer to that quickly and then also uh, Luke chapter 3 somebody else could have that because we need to compare a couple of things as we go through the study. And for those of you that are at home, I might um, encourage you to do the same thing. In other words, uh, you know, um, I'll pick on uh, on uh, the Bratton clan since I know they're probably watching. So Lydia, you could have your uh, have your eyes looking at Matthew chapter one, and uh, your mom or dad looking at uh, at, at Luke chapter three, and help me uh, compare. Uh, those texts. So that'll help us to pay good and close attention to to the material here. So let's look at Luke chapter uh, 3 
and starting in verse 23. We don't want to get caught up in genealogies. That's why we don't go over all this stuff very often. But it is interesting and I know some people have learned a few things uh, along the way as we've done this uh, even recently. So Matthew, or rather Luke chapter 3 verse 23 says this, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, now listen to this, as was supposed, that's part of the original text, the son of Joseph. But actually he is a descendant of Heli or Heli, the son of Heli is what Luke says, the son of Matthat, the son of Levi, son of Melchi. And now what we're going to do is we're going to walk backwards, as it were, through the genealogy towards earlier or, or older times and go through these names that way, which is the reverse order of how Matthew has his genealogy. So, uh, Matthad in verse 24, then Levi, Melchi, Jana, Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, or Nagai, some might say, Nagai, Son of Maath, the son of Mattathiah, uh, the son of Semei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Resa. Now those names you're not going to be very familiar with as far as the persons in particular. The names are repetitions of earlier names, some of them, or common Hebrew names. But when we get to Resa, then we're going to come to a man named Zerubbabel. And we're going to talk about him for a few minutes this morning. Uh, he was the son of Shealtiel, the text lists here, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmodam, the son of Ur, the son of Josie, or Jose, some might say, but Josie or Hosi, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Matthat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melea, the son of Menon, the son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, the son of David. Notice that as well. The son of Nathan and the son of David. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. Now we get to some more familiar names. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber. That's where we get Hebrew from the son of Shelah, the son of Cainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, of course the man that has the record of the longest life recorded in Scripture at least, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Cainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, I don't know if you uh, were to count those names, if you might find somewhere around 72 generations or so, you might check that out, um, see if my numbers are correct. I may be wrong about that. I'm just I'm thinking in my mind of a genealogy that compared the Matthew and, and Luke genealogies, and there's a lot of names between the two of them, some common and some that are that are not common. Okay, so... Here's the genealogy. The genealogy runs backwards from Jesus to, to Adam and then, of course, all the way to God because Adam was, in a sense, an offspring of God, although not in the same sense that most of these were, were offspring. Um, and then you have the genealogy. I've grouped it into four groups, uh, really. 
the first group is from Jesus back to the captivity. And the reason that I selected that division was because in the genealogy of Matthew, there are three groupings. The genealogy of Matthew is significantly shorter because it only goes from Abraham forward. You notice Luke carried from Abraham backwards all the way to, to Adam and to God. But Abraham forward to David the king in Matthew's gospel, then David down to the deportation to Babylon. And these are handy to kind of just have in your mind to think about the structure of biblical history. So from Abraham to David, that runs us from where? Genesis 12 is Abraham all the way through Moses and uh, Joshua and the Judges and Ruth and um, you know, you've got to go into Samuel. And by the time you get into Samuel and 1 Kings, then there's David. So that period of biblical history is where that part of the genealogy came from. And then from David down to the deportation of Babylon, so that's the unified kingdom and then the split kingdom after Solomon, Rehoboam, it splits into the north and south. And then in 722 B.C., the north is taken out. And in 580, well, starting in 605 B.C., but by 587 B.C., the southern kingdom is destroyed as well. So, to the deportation of Babylon, and that's a convenient time marker, a major event in the history of Israel. <clears throat> and then in group number three in Matthew's Gospel, in his genealogy, you have from the deportation to Babylon was Zerubbabel and Shealtiel, or Salathiel, we'll see, um, and then all the way down from the deportation, which or the in the return, all the way down to the time of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And so that's how Matthew structures it in three groups of 14 generations. We saw last time that Matthew does not um, concern himself so much with completeness in his genealogy. He skips a number of generations. In fact, in the second group from David to the deportation of Babylon, I have listed down um, four generations in a row that he skipped from Jehoshaphat. He jumped over four, uh, well, kind of three, because Athaliah is in there. She was a, a usurper of the throne. Down to Joram. And then a little while later, it goes from Amos to Josiah and it skips Jehoiakim and goes to Jeconiah, who will come up again this morning in our in our study. So, we have all of those uh, skipped generations. But anyway, that's not. I don't want to focus on that today. So the groupings back to Luke that I have selected, and they're not um, inspired groupings because there's not a, there's not a, a you know a breakdown of 14, 14, 14 like there is in Matthew. But I picked from Jesus to the captivity, from the captivity back to David. So kind of matching what what is in the Matthew genealogy, and then. Uh, from David or Jesse back to Abraham, and then pre-Abraham is, this, is the fourth group. Okay, so uh, if I could uh, be easier if I could show you this on the screen, but I don't know how I can do that and show it to the people online. So you're going to have to hang with me here. Um, so Jesus back to the captivity, and I want you to notice something interesting. If you look at that last or, or most recent section of genealogy, both in Matthew and in Luke, they are totally different. The section uh, from Jesus back to the captivity 
or from the captivity to Jesus, if you look at it in Matthew's Gospel, they are entirely different than each other. Matthew has about 13 generations, including Zerubbabel and Shealtiel, and then Jesus being inclusive would you count as the 14th in each of those. But Luke has more than 13. Luke has 22, including Jesus, Mary, Zerubbabel, and Shealtiel. Evidently, Luke's list is more complete. So Luke, being the careful historian that he was, was careful to, was careful to try to glean as much as he could from uh, the historical information and genealogical information that was retained in the temple and so on, as much as he could to come up with a complete list. Um, now, it's hard to believe that the uh, list of generations here includes generations that were much shorter. In other words, I don't think that we're shoehorning 22 generations into 13 generations of time in the Matthew genealogy. I think the Matthew one is stretched and, and skips a few along the way, which makes sense because if you think about it, they're sitting in Babylon and then they're in the intertestamental period and it could easily be the case that records were um, were less complete, less evenly complete, perhaps some lost. But um, in any case, it doesn't really matter for for this, the purposes that the scriptures are trying to uh, to convey here. In Luke's gospel, we're getting a genealogy more complete, and I'll explain of who this is, of whom this is speaking. And then in Matthew, it's more of a genealogy to demonstrate a, a royal lineage of uh, Jesus. Um, of course, God could have, don't you believe, God could have revealed the lost names to Luke or Matthew if he wanted to? Of course he could, but he may not have done so, guiding instead Luke's historical research using whatever extant materials there were at the time. Um, now some also, if you look at uh, the genealogies again, somebody that has Matthew... Um, who is, let's just see here, right towards the end, who is the father of Jacob in the Matthew genealogy? Somebody have Matthew there? Somebody got Matthew handy in their, in their Bible? You want to stay there. What's that? Okay, Matthew begot Jacob. Now, what about... Luke, somebody else with Luke in verse 24, the son of Heli, then what? The son of, who has Luke chapter 3 verse 24? I need some help here, guys. I've got to keep you awake and I've got to keep myself awake. Okay. Tim has said Mathan or Mathan in Matthew's gospel. Who is it in Luke's gospel? Mathat. You see that, John? Son of Heli. Luke, I'm looking at Luke 3. I'll go to my Bible. Luke 3.23. Jesus was the son of Joseph, son of Heli, the son of Mathat. You see that? So in, in Luke we have Mathat. And in, in uh, Matthew we have Mathan. I do believe those are different people. And I'll show you why I think that is a little bit more completely in a moment. Uh, I, but I do think they are different people. Now, would you agree with me that the list at the end of the Luke genealogy, or rather at the beginning of it, 
is much different than the one at the end of the Matthew genealogy. Let me just read a few of the, the names. You have Zadok, Achim, Eliad, Eleazar, and Matthan, and Jacob in Matthew. Now, does that sound the same as Mattathiah, Joseph, Jana, Melchi, Levi, Matthat, and Heli? Totally different. Okay, so we have got two different genealogies here. Okay? Very, very different genealogies. And that comes through in the middle of each genealogy. And why I say that is this. Look at, okay, somebody who has, uh, Tim, you're the Matthew guy, okay? Um, And uh, we don't have any Lukes here, do we? Okay, Ben will be Luke. So, Luke, uh, so so actually, let me go back to to Matthew, our Matthew uh, coverage from Brother Tim. Go to, uh, let's see, Luke 3.31. And I want you to, to be ready to tell us from David, where does the family tree go? And um, Ben is in, uh, Ben is in uh, Luke here. I did. I told you to go to Matthew. Okay, you're Matthew. You're Matthew. Okay. Look at David in the Matthew one. We're going to get ourselves all turned around here, but hopefully we'll get straightened out, okay? So, the Matthew genealogy, find David around verse number, where is David? Verse number uh, 6, okay? And then, Ben, I want you to find David in Luke 3.31. Okay, now that you found those, tell us in Matthew, who is the son of David that we're concerned with? Okay, David begot Solomon. Hold that thought. Now, what about the Luke genealogy? Alright, so David begot Nathan over here. So, Nathan over here. Solomon over here. Solomon leads down through the family tree all the way to Joseph. But now we're talking in Luke about a, a family tree from a brother of Solomon named Nathan. You can find him in the in the. Uh, he's not the Nathan that was the prophet. That's a different guy. But this son of Nathan uh, of, of David, sorry, his name Nathan uh, is is the brother of Solomon, and that family line goes down a different path. So are the genealogies the same? Not at all. They're not the same. They're not intended to be the same. They're not confused. There's not an error here. The Bible doesn't have errors in it. So we leave it at the simple understanding that they're two different genealogies. They have a common uh, ancestral point. I mean, we all have a common ancestry, right? If we go back far enough, we're all going to find ourselves to Noah and beyond that, back to Adam. You know, Some of you may be from Shem, some from Ham, and some from Japheth, but we all go back to Noah at one point or another. So, okay, so that tells us we have two different genealogies. So, Solomon is the offspring of David. Nathan is the offspring of David. Um, Now, we're certain when we looked at Matthew that this was a listing for the ancestry of Joseph. The way that it was worded seemed to be very clear that we're talking about Joseph here. This means that, without any question at all, Luke's genealogy has to be of another person and that person has to be Mary. There's only two people that it could be, Joseph or Mary. So by process of elimination, Matthew's off the table because he's in the, or uh, 
Joseph's off the table because he's in a Matthew genealogy, so he must be talking about Mary. And if you look and you see in Luke 3.23, you notice that it says uh, that Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. But we know that he wasn't the son of Joseph. Okay, he was Joseph, some have said, was the adoptive father of Jesus. They didn't really do adoption as we know it. It was just kind of a more common sense thing. Like if a, a guy died and he had kids, then the next of kin would have to take up the care of those kids, period. They just kind of by default adopted. It was just, that's just how family life works. You know, you don't just put them into a foster care system and hope they make it. No, there wasn't any such thing as that. So it was the nearest of kin that had to take up that responsibility. In this case, it was natural for the up-and-coming husband of Mary to take Jesus uh, as his own son. All right, so uh, the son, uh, her son, has genealogical right to the throne of David through her. Okay, He is a son of David through Mary. He's also a son of David through Joseph. Interestingly, both family trees go back to David. That is kind of an interesting situation, isn't it? It doesn't always ha- it doesn't often happen. Well, uh, the question that uh, Tim raised was Joseph's line is the one that had the curse in it, and I'm going to really blow that up. I'm not going to blow it up entirely, but I used to think that was that was the case. That was exclusively the case that Joseph was the big problem there. But I think there might be even more to it than that. It's, there's that for sure, but there may be even more to it. So. Um, all right, so now listen to, uh, don't turn there, but just listen to Luke one thirty-two. This is the angel saying to Mary of the son that she will bear, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 32, actually, I was reading 33. 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Okay, so... God considers David to be the father, forefather of Jesus through Mary in this lineage. All right, so we've got that settled. Mary and Joseph. Now, um, let me just stop and talk about that curse of Jeconiah for a moment. We're going to come back to that. But, you know, often I've thought about this and I've said, okay, well, poor Joseph, you know, he's supposed to be king. And here he is, a carpenter. Uh, he's been really reduced in rank. But why was he reduced in rank? Precisely because of that curse of Jeconiah. In other words, let me ask it this way. Did Joseph have a right to the throne of Israel? Well, genealogically you would say yes. But according to the Jeconiah curse, Joseph has no right to the throne. He cannot prosper on the throne of David because he's a descendant of Jeconiah. So he doesn't have that right. So thus, that's why he's in the situation he is. Sin of prior generations doesn't make Joseph guilty. We know that because the Bible says Joseph was what kind of man? He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was a good man. But consequences from prior generations certainly can flow down to parents, to kids, to grandkids, and all of that. 
And, uh, and that's what happened. Okay, so now, um, the next thing I want you to notice about the genealogy is this. Um, <clears throat> before, let's see, Tim, uh, you're our Matthew representative here. So, find in the genealogy, um, verse 12, and I want you to pay attention to the first uh, three or four names there. Okay, in verse 12 and maybe in 13. Okay, so, yep, that's good, and Abiad. So, after the deportation of Babylon, Tim has just read to us here that Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel uh, fathered Abiad, and Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Okay, so, I want you to focus on Shealtiel and Zerubbabel for a moment. And then I want Ben to point out in verse 27 what he finds there in Luke 3. Okay, so there, I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go from the end of 27 towards the beginning. So you have Neri, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Risa. These are the exact same two men, Shealtiel and Zerubbabel, that are in the... Luke, and in the Matthew genealogy. But we've just established that these are two different genealogies, right? You have the Matthew gospel genealogy of Joseph, the Luke gospel genealogy of Mary, but something very odd is happening here, which is something that can be read past and you don't really notice it. But listen, you have the two genealogies. They come down through uh, David and, and they split Nathan and Solomon Okay, Matthew over here, Luke over here. You come down, 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 and then you get to Sheal to Neri and Shealtiel and Zerubbabel, and they join together for a couple of generations. And then from Zerubbabel you go to Abiad on the one hand, and you go to who's the other guy? Risa. R H E. So it splits again. So it split after David, and then it conjoined, the family tree did, and then it split again. So there's some kind of complication going on here. And we need to investigate just a little bit. So there's a cross-linking between the two genealogies in the middle. Now, a secular reader might say, well, there's got to be a mistake. There's no mistakes in God's Word. I hope you would agree. That's our conviction. Uh, We've been brought to the point by the internal testimony of the Spirit to welcome the Word of God and to embrace it as truth as it is the Word of God, not the Word of men. So there are no mistakes in God's Word, and there's no evidence of textual corruption. It's not like we can find, oh, well, this, this, this manuscript is wrong, or it's got a typo in it, so to speak, typo, handwritten problem, not a type, typographical problem. So what happened? So we have to address that, that question. Um, and that's what we're going to do uh, with the few minutes we have remaining. Now, this is where we have to really put on our thinking caps, okay? How do you have a family tree that splits and joins and splits again? How does that work? Well, you can imagine several ways that it could work. Um, 
What is happening? Well, the split after Zerubbabel is easy. Okay. Well, actually, it's not as easy as it seems, but we'll just say it's easy. Okay. The split from Zerubbabel is easy because he has two boys, Abiad and Risa. Okay, so he has two children, and they go and they have their own families. Wonderful. One ends in Mary, the other ends in Joseph. Well, it doesn't end, but they, you know, they keep going. But anyways, so that's, that's pretty easy. So after that, the two family lines did not apparently reconnect, at least where it becomes relevant for Jesus. One was the line of Joseph, one was Mary. Now, there is a complication um, here, and that is... Let's go back to uh, 1 Chronicles 3, 19 and 20. So I'm going to have to have somebody, a third party here, be my 1 Chronicles 3 person. So, uh, David, are you awake back there? 1 Chronicles chapter 3. And verse 17 and I'm just going to ask you a question. I'm not going to have you read this because the people online can't hear that. But um, if you look at that, look at 17 through 20. Do you find Abiad or Risa in those lists somewhere? Uh, remember, we're saying Zerubbabel had... Uh, whoops, sorry, I got my papers mixed up here. We had saying that Zerubbabel had Risa in the one genealogy and he had Abiad in the other, according to Matthew and Luke. What do you see in 1 Chronicles 3.17-20? Do you see Abiad and Risa there? Okay, so David has discovered an interesting fact that those names are not in that genealogy. These are the same guys in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. Zerubbabel has Meshulam, Hananiah, Shalomith is the sister, Hashabah, Ohel, Berechiah, uh, Hasadiah, and Yushab, Chesed, five in all. And a couple of others listed before that. And you have Padiah in there, and Shimei, but no Abide and no Risa. So what's going on? Well, two things could be happening here. One is that the Abiad and Risa names could be alternate names for some of the ones that are listed here because you know that many times there were those alternate names. I mean, uh, Jeconiah was known by a couple different names. Coniah was one of them, a shortened form of it. So it could be that they're alternate names of, the, of two of the other sons or they could be two other sons entirely different that are not listed in the genealogy that were less important for the chronicler to write or perhaps written, you know, Whatever he hadn't covered them or hadn't recorded them doesn't matter really. But we know from Matthew and Luke that they are sons of Zerubbabel. So the split, the second split of the genealogy is fine. Okay, no problems there. How the two family lines joined, however, okay. So where are we at in our brains? Remember, David split Solomon, Nathan come down. They join together, and then they split apart again. Splitting is easy. Joining, not so easy. Okay, so what happened there? Yeah, so Tim is saying the family lines joined after Jeconiah and that is troubling to Tim. 
And that also troubled me, Tim. That's why I raised my antennas up when I restudied this and I said, wait a minute. I thought that, that uh, Jeconiah, uh, Shealtiel, these guys, Zerubbabel, were affected by the Jeconiah curse and the other side of the family line was not. The problem is the, family connect, the families join after the Jeconiah curse, not before. So you can't have you don't you don't have a you know Jeconiah and everybody after him cursed over here and then somewhere up earlier in the family tree a, a branch coming off that's all clear and no problems. Yes, that. Yes, that's right. But these, well, let's go to the Jeconiah curse and see if that's so. So uh, Tim is saying the older brother is kind of the one who is at issue because he's going to carry, he's he's got the right to the throne. But let's look to Jeremiah. Uh, okay, in Jeremiah, and we're going to look in chapter. of Jeremiah, 22.29. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Okay, this is a real pronouncement from God. Thus says the Lord, write this man. This is Coniah, verse 28 says. Coniah is a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure. They've cast him into a land which they do not know. Write this man down childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. That hurts, doesn't it? That's not just oldest sons, that's none of his descendants. So you could try to make the case that it's just the oldest son that the curse flowed through, but it doesn't seem that it's that easy to, to do that. So then, what do we do? Well, let's carry on with our thought experiment here. Um, there's, you know, there's a joint point of seemingly unrelated genealogical trees here and there's some other complications. Who is the father of Shealtiel, uh, Tim, in your passage? And then Ben, be ready to answer the same question. Who is the father of... Okay, Jeconiah is the father of Shealtiel, let me just double check that he's got the right answer here. Um, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel according to verse 12 in Matthew. Which one? Uh, Jeconiah. I can't answer that for sure. There was a... Okay, that may be... I, yeah, the names, the names, the name changes confuse me just in my head because there's Zedekiah whose name was changed. He was an uncle and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So I'm going to stick with Jeconiah, which is the name I know from here. And I go back to uh, review the name changes later. I didn't write down all the alternate names in the notes here. All right, so, so Jeconiah is the father of Shealtiel. Now, Ben, in Luke's, uh, let's see, in Luke's Gospel, who is the father of Shealtiel? All right, Luke's gospel lists Neri, N-E-R-I, as the father of Shealtiel. So, uh, who? 
you know, who done it here? Who's the father? Who's the real dad? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? So you have that complication. Then, um, the genealogy is both lists Shealtiel as the father of Zerubbabel. Okay, that's consistent in the two genealogies. But, in First Chronicles, are you still there, David, in First Chronicles? In 18 and 19, who's listed as the father of Shealtiel? Can you see it there? Got to go back. Okay, you got it, David? You see Jeconiah there? First Chronicles 3, 18 and 19. Oh, it was in 17. Sorry, I misled you then. Let's back up a couple verses. Jeconiah has Shealtiel. Okay, now, now in 18 and 19, who is the father of Zerubbabel in um, 19? You see that, David? Padiah? Hmm. Jeconiah, uh, by the way, does your Bible in verse 17 have Jeconiah? The sons were Asir. Okay. Does anybody else have a different translation of the words after Jeconiah? I know some of you at home do. Yeah, Asir means uh, captive or prisoner. So some translations have the sons of Jeconiah, the prisoner, were Shealtiel, and Malchiram, Padiah, Shenazar, Jechemiah, and all the rest. Okay. So, what do we have here? Shealtiel is the son of Jeconiah or Neri. And Zerubbabel is either the son of Shealtiel or Padiah. Who is it then? What's the family line? Well, let me come up with a possible, or give you a possible explanation here. Um, I mean, one possibility is there are two first cousins, both named Zerubbabel. That would kind of solve this, but it seems unlikely that's the case. Um, but it's strange that the Shealtiel Zerubbabel's genealogy is not given in First Chronicles because he's so important. It seems to me the Shealtiel and Zerubbabel here in First Chronicles must be the same as the ones we're talking about. I don't know if you're still with me or not. Um, but here's a proposed reconstruction. And I have a diagram of this in the notes that are available on the website. What I have in this diagram, I don't know if you can see it too well, but the blue is the genealogy as we know it, and the red boxes are my proposed speculation or reconstruction of how this join point happened in the genealogy. So let me see if I can explain this. It could be that Jeconiah married... A daughter of Neri. Okay, so Neri has a kids, but he has a daughter. And that daughter marries Jeconiah. And they have Salathiel and Padiah. Two kids. Probably more, but just these two for our purposes. Okay, so 
The family trees converge in this way, that Neri from the line of Nathan marries Jeconiah from the line of Solomon. So, they had Shealtiel and Padiah, among other children. Now, Shealtiel married somebody. We're going to call that somebody Shealtiel's widow, which is going to foreshadow what I think happened to Shealtiel. Uh, poor Shealtiel. Uh, some call him Salathiel. Uh, I think the King James has that spelling of it. But Shealtiel married and had no children. So he died. And then his brother Padiah married the widow. Okay? So we've joined the family trees together. We've got Jeconiah in the mix. We've got Neri in the mix. So we can say that, that Jeconiah is a father of um, Salathiel. And Neri is the father of him, the forefather, not the direct father, but the grandfather. And then Jeconiah has Salathiel and Padiah. Salathiel dies. Padiah marries the widow. And they have a child named Zerubbabel. Okay? Now, according to the law of Moses, when a family had that circumstance happen, whose son was Zerubbabel counted as? The deceased. Okay? He was counted as the son of the deceased person. Let's look at Deuteronomy 25 just to, uh, to uh, fortify our brains on that. Deuteronomy in chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25.5 If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother so that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Okay. Now, we have a prime example of this in the book of Ruth. Remember, Boaz comes along. No, Boaz comes along and he's the kinsman redeemer to pick up for Elimelech. Now, there's an extra generation that's in there, but the name of the father has to be propagated that was important for them because property rights attached to the family name and that sort of thing. Okay, So we have a, somewhat of an example there. But here we have, I think, a good example of a possibility. Okay, um, So you have Salathiel, who is the, the descendant of Jeconiah, dies. Padiah marries the widow. They have a son, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is counted as Salathiel's or Shealtiel's uh, son, but he's actually Padiah's son. That's why the genealogies can list both. Okay, and Neri, where do we have Neri at here? We're getting ourselves all confused with all these different names. So Neri was the father of Shealtiel. Yes, that works out in this construction that I have listed here. Um, and the other, and Jeconiah is the father of Shealtiel. That works out as well. And uh, Zerubbabel is the offspring of, of, of Shealtiel. That works out according to this construction. And Zerubbabel is the son of Padiah, which works out with 1 Chronicles chapter 3, 18, 17 through 20. So, 
Indeed, Shealtiel was the legal father of Zerubbabel, but Padiah was the biological father. So that's how we get a join point between the two. And then, of course, when we get to Zerubbabel, we can have the splitting point again. So this is an exceedingly odd kind of family tree. But, you know, these things happen in life, don't they? Uh, First cousins marry, you know, second cousins, family trees come back together. All kinds of things happen. Now, what does this reconstruction do to the Jeconiah curse? It seems to me that the curse would flow through Padiah as well as Shealtiel, both offspring of Jeconiah. So it only seems to make the Jeconiah curse problem worse than what I thought it was before. It makes it worse because it's not just the one line that's affected because the lines join at, after Jeconiah and both are corrupted in that sense. So it seems to make it impossible for both the branch from David and the branch, uh, through Solomon and the Nathan branch of the family tree to avoid the curse. The virgin birth could very well be the explanation out of this problem on both sides of the family tree, both Matthew's genealogy and Luke's, both the Nathan side and the Solomon side of the family tree. Now, in the end, that does leave me with a little bit of dissatisfaction. I think there's more that could be done here. But other Bible students have the same problem getting to the bottom of this. There is a significant difficulty with at least this combination of situations that happen to make the family lines um, to uh, conjoin. Now, by the way, somebody um, indicated a confusion about the term leveret marriage. That's That's what we've been talking about in this possible reconstruction. That's what Deuteronomy 25 is about. But if you search your Bible for the word leveret, you're not going to find it. Because it has nothing to do with Levi. Okay? Just get Levi out of your brain. The, the Latin word for brother-in-law or husband's brother is levir. L-E-V-I-R. That's like we say brother-in-law. They would say levir, brother-in-law. That's the levir. So, if you're going to marry your brother-in-law, that's a levirite or leveret marriage. Okay, So, that's where that term comes from. Leveret marriage. All right, so um, there's at least one problem with the leveret marriage, the Jeconiah curse, sons that were otherwise unnamed in biblical sources except Matthew and Luke. However, we approach Scripture with full trust, knowing that the genealogy of Luke is just inspired as the genealogies of First Chronicles and elsewhere in the Old Testament. And you know what? The genealogy here in Luke is just as inspired as John 3.16. Do you believe that? Yeah, it is. Whatever has happened, it is evident that God arranged for what appears to be an otherwise impossible situation. You have nobody sitting on the throne. You have a Jeconiah curse that's touched both lines of Joseph and Matthew. You have no hope for a kingship to arise by mere human means. God has brought the world by this point to a place like He had brought Abraham and Sarah. Could they have a child? No. She was beyond childbearing. He was an old man. It was an impossible situation. But God miraculously overrode the impossible and made this circumstance occur. And so, 
He took in a seemingly impossible situation and solved it with the virgin birth of Christ. Now, I'm sure that you might have some thoughts about this, and I welcome those uh, thoughts. Uh, perhaps you have a different reconstruction of what could have occurred. I would be interested to know that reconstruction and invite you to send that over to me. But for now, we have to stop because I'm running over time. So here we go. Let's pray and then we'll close. Father, we uh, want to thank you for the privilege to look at your word and see these uh, wonderful pieces of information. And uh, Lord, help us to trust your word, even if we don't understand all these details. And we'll give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray with thanksgiving. Amen.